This is a WKYT podcast. Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers and a happy Mother's Day to the moms out there today. Later, our coverage of campaign 2020 continues. We'll be hearing from Democratic U.S. Senate candidate Mike Breuer, who this week picked up the endorsement of a progressive political group. Mike Breuer with us later. But first, Moorhead State University President Dr. Jay Morgan joins us. There are lots of questions about how colleges and universities are and will move forward in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Moorhead and other universities quickly shifted to online instruction this spring and they're trying to figure out exactly how to approach the fall semester. And in the middle of the economic mess caused by the coronavirus, what does the financial future look like for those who prepare people for the opportunities ahead? Dr. Jay Morgan brought energy and stability to the home of the Eagles when he arrived on campus in 2017. U.S. News and World Report has named Moorhead a top 20 public university in in the South. But these are also very challenging times and a lot of uncertainty everywhere you turn. Let's turn to MSU President Jay Morgan for some clues about higher education. Thanks for being with us. We appreciate it very much. Great to be with you, Bill. It's a beautiful day on our campus today. And as I look out over our quad out the uh, window here, there's no students here. It's a very strange feeling. It really it is surreal. And, and you and other uh, Kentucky colleges and universities scrambled back in March to uh, get students off campus and into online learning. Uh, how has that worked out? We, well, Bill, we did scramble a little bit. As you recall, back around mid-March, uh, really uh, around our traditional spring break, we had to make an abrupt change from traditional courses to 100% um, online. Now, about a third of our spring courses ordinarily were online, so that only left the remaining amount to make that very quick pivot. I, I will compliment our campus that they did an extremely good job. Our faculty, our staff, our students, all have been team players. It did come with frustrations, but I think they did very well under the circumstances. And actually this Friday, May the 8th, is the end of the spring semester, and we're really glad to get this one behind us. Well, I'm sure, but do you empathize with students who who missed that uh, that last semester of campus life, the seniors in particular, and, yeah. uh, and the big traditions like uh, a graduation ceremony? I, I do, and I think all of our individuals on campus uh, have a whole lot of sympathy. I, I've gotten some very touching emails from students, particularly seniors who say, I, I just missed the last couple of years of my life of college. and. While we, do, uh, while we do have a lot of sympathy th for them, we, we really encourage them to make the best of it, set some goals going forward, and, uh, and try to achieve those. We are, unfortunately, um, much like all the rest of the Commonwealth, canceling in-person commencement ceremonies that would really happen uh, this upcoming weekend for us, traditionally, and we're pushing that commencement ceremony back. And, We'll be having two or three of them in December to still try to honor those graduating seniors. Of course, to the other underclassmen who are matriculating through, they also had some disappointment, but probably not quite as much as the seniors did. Uh, do you think that this situation will accelerate the move to more online learning, uh, or do you think students have uh, so long to get back to campus life that, uh, in fact, uh, there may be a, a snapback in that way? Well, I, I think it's going to be uh, a spread out all over the board, Bill, and I, I, I'll give you some examples just from my conversations with students, and I've had the opportunity 
in this new world of Zoom and WebEx and online learning that, that abruptly was cast upon us to duck in a couple of classes online just to, just to chat with students. And what they're passing along is that online was fun for about a week, but they're tired of sitting in their bedrooms and they want to come back to their friends. So I think you're going to have a significant size population ready to go in the fall semester who want to come back. They want to visit with friends. They want to be involved with band and chorus and yeah. athletics and Greek life and all the other things that really a college campus like ours is, is known for. And that's part of the educational environment. I do think that there will be a small segmentation because of either economic reasons or uh, logistical reasons or financial uh, for quite some time that will probably want to remain at home and take a variety of online courses or hybrid courses, commute to campus a day or two a week and maybe complete yeah. the rest of it online. So I think we're going to see learning going forward in a variety of formats maybe that we traditionally didn't use as much in the past. Well, it's been very heartening to see uh, Moorhead State and uh, some of our other uh, universities reach out and say, you know, we're here and we'll always be here and be part of your life. And that is uh, to the graduates as well as those uh, who, uh, as you've said, might uh, have to take a pause, but uh, uh, you want them to know that, uh, that you'll be there when, when they're ready and when they need you. Correct, yes. Let me ask you something here. Uh, you have told me you're ready to make some news today. Uh, and that is about the fall semester. I know there's some big decisions ahead. You have to take a lot of things into consideration, but what are your plans as it regards the fall semester at Moorhead State? Well, uh, Bill, probably like the rest of the world, we're, we're looking for that uh, crystal ball. And right now the crystal ball still has a little bit of unclarity, but uh, over the past uh, couple of weeks, we, uh, we have been listening to the advice of public health agencies uh, we are uh, higher ed in generals having some discussions with Governor Bashir about when the most appropriate time, uh, maybe this summer, is to open, and we will we will still remain within the guidance of the governor and and others. But right now, uh, Moorhead State University is planning for a fall semester back on campus. Obviously, that semester will probably look a little bit different than it did in the past. I do think we will have a high degree of courses that will be in hybrid format. Uh, in other words, students may take half the course that's traditional and the other half online. Uh, our campus, even in a normal semester, has about a third of all of its courses online. I think that third will gently tick up a little bit. I don't know what degree that will be at this point in time, but we are making plans for a few more online courses. We are looking, uh, once we do get uh, the approval from the governor to open back up and resume operations. We are looking at spreading students out on campus. Uh, we've been uh, trying to carve out a couple of additional residence hall rooms that could be used for special circumstances, students who may need a, a single room who traditionally would not want one. We are also looking at uh, our public areas here on campus, whether it be our food courts, our recreation centers, our libraries, to see how we might need to position those uh, to maybe be open, but with a few less people in it each time. So at present, we have a four or five planning teams that are working on all the uh, micro level conversations that need to take place to make this happen. Uh, and once we get word from the governor, I, I think Moorhead State University is gonna be ready to move forward. 
So once again, the plan is to try to operate as close to normal as you can this fall. We, we would like to within the parameters that, that uh, we're given from public health agencies and others, yes. Our, our campus is ready to move forward and I think, uh, Bill, it will come with a lot of precautions. So it may not look like uh, exactly what life looked like last fall, yeah. but our campus is ready to move forward and I can feel a lot of energy among a number of people, particularly our students who are, they're ready to come back. All right, uh, you know, not only are we dealing with the virus, uh, Mr. President, we're also uh, dealing with the economic fallout, which has been a tremendous, uh, you know, a very difficult situation for the country and for the Commonwealth. The state budget uh, is decimated, uh, already a shortfall in April of, I think, uh, more than $400 million. Uh, that could certainly have impact on our public universities as well. Are you uh, preparing for that? We, we are, Bill. As you know, higher education for the past 12 or 14 years has had a number of budget pressures year over year, uh, biennium over biennium in, in Kentucky. And we're hopeful someday that that uh, trajectory can turn around and we can get uh, some more support. However, we, we are where we are right now. And uh, as you probably remember a couple of months ago when the General Assembly adjourned, uh, they did pass a one-year state budget. Uh, that state budget was okay for higher education, all things considered. Uh, however, we're, we're being very realistic that that could change going forward. Uh, as you know, and, and others in the viewing audience know, uh, there's been a lot of economic strain over the past uh, 45, 60 days in Kentucky. And as a result of that, and because Moorhead State University is known for affordability and we want to continue to be, uh, uh, we have made the decision going into next academic year to freeze uh, tuition and fees for another year, just so we can be recognizant of that strain that Kentucky families are feeling. About 85% of all of our students come from within the Commonwealth, and we wanna make sure that, that we're alongside them and, and being recognizant to what their needs are. Going back to the state budget, and as we uh, begin to round the corner into a new uh, state budget fiscal year for July 1 going forward, I would suspect that there's going to be some continued strain on the state budget like there has been for the past uh, month or so and this current shortfall that our state is experiencing. I, I suspect and unfortunately suspect that uh, that will continue for some time. Uh, we will have to, much like all the other universities in the Commonwealth, continue to adjust uh, to make plans going forward. Fortunately, our, our campus has uh, done a good job so far. Uh, we have reduced a lot of spending over the past uh, month or two. That will likely continue for some time. We've also been in an, uh, a very fortunate position where uh, to date we have not had to have any furloughs or, or layoffs, but as we get into the next few months, I don't think anybody anywhere in our state can make any promises. Yeah. So we're hopeful at this point the General Assembly continues to uh, to be kind to higher education. Mr. President, as you try to get a vision of uh, going forward the fall and, uh, and beyond, uh, do you have uh, thoughts about what the new normal might look like, uh, you know, for students, for yourself, uh, uh, and, uh, and for those involved with Moorhead State in any way? Well, that's a complicated equation. I, I do think the, no, the new normal will, someday will return to normal, Bill. Life always does, no matter what the challenge that 
uh, we have either locally or within the state or, or within our nation. So I think things will take some time. Uh, that will be the new normal is taking time. I think people are gonna have to have some time psychologically uh, to move through this and feel more comfortable. I think the new normal will be more technology used for meetings. There'll probably be a touch of less travel going on, even travel within our state. And I think as people have made this abrupt turn, uh, many more meetings, probably a lot more interviews, much like we're doing today, will, will be done uh, you know, by telecommunications and other modes and probably less in person. I do think some of our instruction going forward will begin to uh, get creative and that will be uh, where students maybe are, maybe they're not here on our campus all the time. They may come for short bursts of time, go back home for some time. I think you'll see students who will uh, weave in and out of maybe where they work because they probably, many of them have been uprooted in the jobs that they have had. So I think we're gonna see some disruption uh, for quite a bit of time to come, but life will return to normal someday. And we're optimistic and we're, we're ready for the challenge here at Moorhead State University. Well, it's very comforting uh, to hear you say that, and I do look forward to the day we can get back in the studio and, <laughs> and be face-to-face. -face. This works, but it, it, uh, it works, isn't but the same. but it's not the same. You That's got right. It. Dr. Jay Morgan is president of Moorhead State University and has revealed to us in this segment that uh, the plan is to return to campus with many changes uh, this fall. We thank you very much for being with us. Thank you, Bill. Always good to see you, even though it's online today. There you go. Thank you. And we hope you'll stay with us. We'll meet another candidate of the United States Senate, Mike Broyer, coming up on Kentucky Newsmakers. And welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. In the middle of dealing with this worldwide pandemic, Kentucky is also having a high-profile U.S. Senate election. Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is already Kentucky's longest-serving senator ever, and he is running for a seventh six-year term in Washington. But Democrats hope to deny him re-election. We talked with Amy McGrath last week. We visited earlier with Charles Booker. And today, Mike Royer is with us after winning an endorsement from a key progressive group. Royer is a farmer a former newspaper editor and served as a U.S. Marine for more than 20 years. Breuer has staked out progressive positions, including universal basic income. He would push to address climate change and he supports Medicare for all. Democratic Senate candidate Mike Breuer uh, joining us now from his home remotely. Thanks for being with us. Nobody could have seen this coming, of course. Uh, to what extent, Mr. Breuer, has the COVID-19 crisis brought issues to the forefront that may not have gotten emphasis uh, as they are now? Well, before the, uh, before the pandemic, of course, probably the only person of natural, uh, national stature talking about universal basic income was Andrew Yang. And, um, you know, it, he was pushing it uh, because it was a just and, and fair and, and, and right thing to do. But now during uh, the pandemic, you've got uh, diverse people like, uh, you know, Mitt Romney and Nancy Pelosi and the editorial board of Wall Street Journal saying, hey, maybe there's something to this whole UBI thing. So that's one thing. And of course, uh, you know, the, the holes in our healthcare system where people's uh, health care is tied to their employment. I mean, the wheels came off of it. We put 30 million people on unemployment, 30 million families in America facing the greatest health care challenge in a century uninsured. So I'd say those are the two big things that have really, uh, really come to light. 
in uh, you know since the pandemic began. You have noted Kentucky's uh, poverty level throughout this campaign, even before this uh, pandemic uh, hit, uh, and you're now pushing for this uh, universal basic income. What does that look like to you? Well, you know, during the pandemic, um, and I feel that there's going to be either a terrible recession or possibly depression that's going to going to follow um, the pandemic. I think that all the happy talk coming out of Washington about think getting back to normal is uh, just whistling past the graveyard. Um, there's going to be some severe economic uh, turmoil, maybe for a year, a year and a half. And so the way I look at it is that uh, during the pandemic, I think we should have a UBI of $2,000 a month per family and uh, $1,000 per child. And then after the pandemic, after the whatever economic disaster follows this pandemic, switch to a permanent UBI, $1,200 a month per adult and $400 per child. Let's talk about what uh, a Kentuckian representing uh, this state in Washington would be doing. Governor Andy Beshear is asking for federal relief for the state. Mayors and judge executives around the state want Congress to help with their local budgets uh, given the economic fallout from COVID-19. Can Washington shoulder that much when we uh, already had a massive deficit even before the coronavirus struck? Well, the deficit was driven by the 2017 tax deal that the administration and, and Mitch McConnell are so proud of. I mean, these are people who used to hate deficits. And, uh, you know, starting in 2017, uh, they cut taxes on corporations and the very, very wealthy and started the spiral. Now, as far as running a deficit, um, they've written checks for $2.5 trillion in the last uh, month and a half and uh, didn't really seem to blink about it. But sadly, most of that money um, is not going to the people who need it the most, the people who've got rents to pay, mortgages to pay, car payments, and need to put food on the table. Um, the first instinct of the people in Washington always, 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 just like it was in 2017, is to bail out corporations, like it was back in 2009 uh, during the, uh, the last recession we had. Uh, instead of putting money in the hands of people um, who will spend it, because, you know, the middle class, working people, poor, they spend almost every single penny they get and that goes into a local economy, it changes hands very quickly, and uh, it develops tremendous velocity. Um, you give money to uh, industries and to corporations, they used to buy back their stocks and drive up the cost of their stocks. And that was the focus in Washington, instead of putting it in the hands of people who need it. Is that the kind of thing you would be uh, campaigning on in the fall if you were to become the Democratic nominee? Oh, absolutely. I think that, the, you know, the, the, the government puts money into the economy all the time. The Fed puts money into the economy all the time without the permission of, of Congress. I'd want to turn the system on its head. If the government is going to generate wealth and if the government is going to, uh, you know, produce money or, or, you know, generate money, which is the sole, you know, their sole ability of the federal government to do that, I would much rather it go into the hands of people who need it the most and who are going to spend it instead of going to corporations and wealthy people. You make the case on your website that addressing climate change can be an opportunity to retrain the workforce and make buildings and homes safer. Uh, many critics of that approach say uh, government mandates would ruin segments of the economy. Uh, is, is that a, a careful balance? Um, just in, in what particular segments of the economy? Well, I mean, you know, if, if, it is said that if you put requirements on anybody, the housing industry or others, uh, that, it, uh, that it would be stressful. Well, I think, you know, many people, uh, there's an awful lot of people who say that they're socially uh, liberal and fiscally conservative. In other words, they don't want to spend, uh, spend money wastefully. But if you take a look at any, you know, wide variety of programs, if you go from universal pre-K um, to uh, preventive health care to 
you know, renewable energy. If you take a look at the, the payback period and the ultimate return on investment, they're all very, very fiscally sound, um, fiscally sound answers to problems that we're having. Um, I don't think offering uh, people in, you know, coal miners in western Kentucky or in Appalachia an opportunity to work on, say, a federal program building infrastructure, uh, rural broadband, renewable energy, wind and solar, um, that, you know, which pays a prevailing wage, which, or union wage with benefits, uh, is, hurting, is hurting anybody, and it puts people to work. If you go out and, and spend time with people who live and work in coal country, they, they're not in love with coal mining. They just want to work. They want to provide for their families. They want to have a future. The great thing about addressing climate change through infrastructure is you don't have to believe in climate change. But at the end of the project, you've got great infrastructure and industry and opportunity will follow that infrastructure in the parts of this, the Commonwealth that need it the most. Mr. Moore, Kentucky, as you know, has a, is a strong Second Amendment state. Uh, you have hinted that you support some forms of gun control. Uh, what is it that you would champion if you went to Washington as it relates to guns? Well, I think, I, I, um, Bill, I hope you don't mind me correcting you here. Um, I've not hinted. I, you know, there's no hinting in my campaign. There's, I, I'm a Marine, and I'm married to a Marine, and so nuance is not our small, you know, our, our, our long suit. Uh, we, I usually tend to say what I mean, and, uh, I, I'm, and I'm proud to say that I have been uh, recognized by Moms Man Action as a gun sense candidate. I'm very proud of that endorsement because the, the, the people, mostly women, um, who make up the Moms Demand Action Network here in Kentucky have got two simple things they're hoping for universal background checks and uh, some red flag laws. And like you'd find in the Violence Against Women Act that Mitch McConnell said we can't afford to pay for because of the deficit. I, that was his reason for not, not passing the violence, you know, renewing the Violence Against Women Act. But um, so yeah, there's no hint about it. Um, I think, I live in the country, I'm a farmer. Um, everyone here has guns, everybody. It's, it's, you know, it's as much a part of, uh, of having around a farm as a, as a hoe or a shovel. Uh, because you need them on farms, particularly when you have livestock. And um, I think everyone I know considers themselves to be a responsible gun owner. Uh, and whether they're hunting or they're using them around the farm, they consider that they store them carefully, they, uh, they employ them carefully. And so overwhelmingly, Americans and NRA members support universal background checks. Overwhelmingly. Uh, bill passed out of the House with overwhelming bipartisan support for universal background checks for all transfers of firearms. And in the Senate, uh, there are universal, there's strong bipartisan support for universal background checks. The only person who's against it is Mitch McConnell. And that's because he is funded in part by the gun industry and the NRA. All right. Less than a so minute. So he's answering to the people who pay his bills, not the people of America. Less than a minute left. Let, let, let me ask you this. Kentucky has not elected a Democratic U.S. Senator since Wendell Ford's uh, last winning campaign in 1992. Uh, do you think that Democrats can win? What is your path to victory uh, as a progressive? Absolutely. Uh, there's an absolute path, path to victory here. Mitch McConnell's uh, ratings are as low, almost as low in Kentucky as they are in the rest of the country. But my path to victory is simple. Um, it being honest and forthright with people, because the folks in the middle, the Democrats who are voting Republican, because we have more Democrats than Republicans in the state, um, I've given them something to be excited about with a progressive platform, but even the folks who disagree with me about something like universal background checks, say, will, will look at me on the campaign trail and say, you know what, at least you're being honest with me. And I know it's a low bar, but as a farmer and as, and as a veteran and as someone who's taught in our public schools, you know, 
that carries a lot of weight in Kentucky, and people are happy when they can look in the eye and know what you stand for. And that's what my campaign's all about. Mike Breuer, candidate for the U.S. Senate on the Democratic side, the primary June 23rd. Thanks for being here. And we'll be back on Kentucky Newsmakers in a moment. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. We're hearing more and more about contact tracing as states start flattening curves and loosening restrictions. Doctors, officials, tech, and pharmaceutical giants are all coming together to track the spread of COVID-19. Antibody testing plays a big part in that, but can we trust the process? Our national political analyst takes a closer look. Hello, I'm Greta Van Susteren, and here is your full court fast break. Chaos and confusion surrounding coronavirus antibody testing. Not testing for whether you have COVID-19, but whether you've already had it. Right now, many tests are wildly inaccurate, some giving false positives more than 10% of the time. These errors tell people who may never have had the virus that they possess antibodies, and that is dangerous. It both hinders contact tracing and it gives people a false sense of security, suggesting that these people may be immune. Now, the FDA is getting slammed for its role in this mess. It let more than 100 unvetted antibody tests hit the market. But now, and about face, the FDA now saying companies selling COVID-19 antibody tests must share data, proving those tests are reliable and actually work. If a company fails to comply, its test will likely be taken off the market. But here is one other very important thing to know. Even valid antibody testing may mislead you. It's not the answer to all our problems, at least not yet. As world-renowned virologist Dr. Robert Gallo points out, antibodies do not guarantee immunity. Antibodies don't mean immunity. They can mean immunity, but they can mean nothing. So, and how long they last? I'm a little worried because the structure of the spike protein, my finger is the spike, the virus, that structure has certain similarities to what we've noted in the similar spike protein of HIV. And HIV's antibodies to that spike protein are not long lasting. Want more Full Court Press? Check out our new weekday show, Full Court Press Now. And as always, tune in Sunday. We bring politics home, covering the national stories that impact you. And that's at 11.30 this morning on WKYT. That's Kentucky Newsmakers. You make it a good week ahead.